Hello, and welcome all you weirdos, Krakoans, and everyone who's ever had your wife rescue you from ninjas. It's time for another Weird Dose of X, your X-Men podcast, a proud member of the Weird Science family of podcasts. I continue to be Jason, and with me again from the Pacific Northwest is admitted soccer fan, Ruben. Ruben, how the heck are you today? <laughs> I'm great. I'm not an admitted fan. I'm a boisterously proud um, fan. Yeah, I saw you put it out there in public on the Twitters and everything. I mean, uh, you know, good for you, man. That's, that takes uh, some bravery. I, I, yeah, I probably would be happier talking about how well the Sounders are playing for the next 30 minutes than talking about these books, but this is not a MLS or Sounders podcast, so. I mean, we could, I mean, uh, maybe we'll tr slowly, but just inexorably transition to be a soccer podcast, just so gradually, no one even notices. It's just somehow yes. we're all there. You'd have to bring me along, though, because I'm, I'm a baseball guy, I'm a, a curling guy, and that's that's about it. But that'll be for a future show. You'll 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 notice sometime down the road, listener. You'll say, "Hey, <laughs> didn't this used to be about the X Men?" Ah, <laughs> ah, that's the one you'll know we've got you. But we are still talking about the X Men. We'd have no sins of sinister title to talk about this week. We finished up the year ten books last week, and we'll be heading into the year one hundred books next week. So today we have two books that take place. Either before or maybe after that branching off point of the timeline, hard to say. Not sure if even the writers know. Uh, anyway, these two books are X-Force number 38 and Rogue and Gambit number one. Now, we are going to start off with X-Force number 38, which the title of the issue is just Xeno. Written, of course, by Ben Percy, art by Robert Gill, colors by Guru FX, letters by Joe Caramagna, and design by Tom Muller with... Jay Bowen. Now, last time out, we saw our heroes use information retrieved from an old pre-resurrection domino backup that told them that, hey, the man with the peacock tattoo, his secret Xeno lab, that's off on Genosha. So, Domino, Deadpool, and Omega Red swam slash flew their bluebird submarine slash airplane off to the island and were immediately attacked by those fleshy monstrosities that look like the colossal titan from Attack on Titans. So, Meanwhile, young Max, the kidnapped psychic baby, learned that the peacock tattoo man is actually what's what's the big reveal here, Ruben? Can you can you tell me? <laughs> the Gene Engineer. Gene Engineer Jr., yes. yes the last surviving clone, clone of an old, <laughs> kind of forgotten X-Men antagonist named something Moreau. Like it was I know it was a Dr. Moreau joke. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember his actual name, I just remember him as the Gene Engineer. Yeah, somebody Moreau. So it is It is notable that once again, Wolverine does not appear in this X-Force comic. Uh, I mean, as part of a monstrosity, but not like himself. So presumably this takes place during that time period when Beast has Wolverine trapped in that cave doing dirty jobs for him. So as we enter this story, we see that fight with the, uh, the Colossal Titan take place as Domino talks to us through narration boxes to say just how unlucky she's felt since that experience with Zeno back near the start of the volume. And this issue really is trying to tie up, or at least bring a, like a part of her arc to a close, right? Kind of referring back to how she felt back there. We don't hear about her missing memories again so much, but this is supposed to be closing her emotional arc for having, having been captured and tortured by Zeno. And we also get something up front we've come to expect by now, which is Deadpool making some kind of poop and fart jokes in the opening scene just to kind of warm us up and get us into the book. And, uh, you know, again, these are hit and miss. Uh, did you have any favorite Deadpool jokes in this issue? Um, not sure, but I would say the only thing I enjoy of Ben Persis' writing is his Deadpool. I, I did sort of chuckle at most of it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, uh, I am an intellectual, so the one that really appealed to me was when Deadpool needs to jump out and he says, open the ass of the bluebird. So I, I laughed at that. I, I have been pooped on by more than my share of birds. I, I have a pet bird. I'm a bird watcher. I, I volunteer in a bird sanctuary. So anything involving the ass of a bird, that's that's really my wheelhouse. Familiar territory. It is. I, I know my way. <laughs> I'm not even going to finish that sentence. But okay, it made me laugh. So I, this is just an opening action scene. Uh, Deadpool chops his way through. He uses a biological term. Uh, what is he? He goes through the peritoneum. So nice to see Deadpool using a, a, a big word like peritoneum. Very, uh, very impressive. I guess Wade's been, been reading or maybe, I don't know, he goes to WebMD a lot. So yeah, they win the big fight. No, no surprise there. Meanwhile, uh, Max the Psychic Baby has figured out that this crazy guy in the green mask who has dressed two of them up in cute little matching three-piece suits, probably up to no good. So Max runs away, and Gene Engineer Jr. chases him through a forest of back-to-tanks. A lot of back-to-tanks lately in the uh, these Marvel comics. Do you know what I mean when I say a back-to-tank? Yeah, these tubes with floating bodies. Yeah, it's, the, it's what Luke Skywalker was in on Hoth after the actor had his motorcycle accident, so they need an excuse to make him look all beat up in the movie. Yeah, a big, big floating tank. Uh, so Max runs away, Gene Engineer chases him, uh, and we see, like, in these tanks, like, floating creatures or bits of creatures, like Domino's head and spinal column, some things that look kind of like Beast. I'm not sure if these are genetic experience exactly, how this is different than what Mr. Sinister's doing, how it's different than all these other mix-and-match pieces of mutants, but we're kind of doing it again. And the man with a peacock tattoo catches up with Max uh, and decides, you know, this kid's kind of a pain. I told him my whole life story, and he ran away. So I think I'm just going to kill him off and use bits of him to make another creature that has the same powers I need, but one that's just, you know, less annoying. Yeah. And I wonder, was there a reason he couldn't just do this with Max in the first place? That's what he does with all the other mutants. He kills them and he uses their pieces. Was yes. Max special somehow No. that he couldn't do that? No. No. Okay. My biggest gripe about this is just a lot of heel turn sort of moments. I mean, this is a bad guy already, right? But- there's no depth to it. It's just kind of like, okay, now I'm going to kill you. There's a lot of moments that feel like Ben Percy wrote in emotional moment here. Yeah. But then didn't actually build in the structure to make that work for us readers who, you know, don't know what's yeah. in his head. And that's my general feeling about this whole issue, right? Like, I agree it's an attempt to close the emotional arc of Domino, except we haven't really seen her for like 20 issues right <laughs> so i remember some of that stuff being very prominently featured and then it just wasn't part of the book when we were dealing with omega a kid omega for like ever and then the beast wolverine stuff and then suddenly it's like i haven't felt <laughs> like myself since then i'm like okay but we haven't really yeah, dealt I, with I you do since wonder then. if we're gonna get kid omega stuff coming back because he just you know he was killed and erased and we're not sure if he's gonna come back you'd think there's going to be a Again, a closing off of that storyline at some point, but not in this issue. All right. So uh, the man with the peacock tattoo drugs Max, the psychic baby, and straps him securely, very, very securely to a mad scientist operating table. He's got his wrists, his ankles, his neck, all just tied down. So Max, 100%, not going anywhere. That's for sure. Yeah, I was surprised. That was the end of the Max arc, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So now somewhere nearby, Omega Red, because... He's still in this book, uh, mostly as a plot device slash like a piece of tech. He yeah. taps into Zeno's computer system with his freaky tendrils and starts sending data back to Beast and Sage on Krakoa. 
Yeah. And as soon as he starts doing this, the trio is attacked by, I guess we're supposed to call this thing the Omni-Mutant? I'm not calling it that. It doesn't deserve a name. It's just a beast thing. This was the final page reveal in the last issue. And at least in that issue, it looked good. Where this one, it it looks really half-assed is the only word I can come up with. It looks like the artist didn't feel super inspired. It's all kind of, well, we got we got an arm like this. We got a face like that. Now, the cover looks pretty good. The cover has another version of an Omni-Mutant. Uh, who, who, would, who did the cover this time? We should give him the credit. Cover by Joshua Kassara and Dean White. Yeah, they do really nice covers. And that shows a very detailed version of this stitched together all the pieces of X-Force, right? Your Domino, your, your Beast, your Deadpool, your Wolverine, all those pieces. On the cover, it looks really nice, but it's not really the same creature because all the pieces are in different places. On, on the cover, it's a Domino-based face, which makes perfect sense for what's supposed to be the emotional arc here, whereas in the issue itself, the face is, let's see, it's half Beast and half Wolverine, I guess, with just a, a Dalmatian-spotted arm of Domino. So yeah, that was that was kind of disappointing. Oh, they're all all they have to fight versions of themselves. People we've seen that way too many times. Way too many to times, and it's handled the way it's handled when you don't care about it, right? It shows up; it's a huge threat until it's not. That I hate that stuff. It's yeah, like, I get it. It feels like oh, have to put threat here, yeah. and then at the end, oh, I'm running out of time. Uh, and they beat pieces it pieces together. Yeah. <laughs> so while they do this fighting thing we get some information about Zeno that, again, feels completely out of nowhere, no foreshadowing, doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. It feels like something needed to be in this issue, so here's a thing for this issue. And we're told that Zeno wasn't just messing around using mutants as weapons, it was also using parts of those mutants and some kind of cloning technology to make perfect copies of important people in the human world, your politicians, your businessmen, your military guys, and somehow putting bits of Quentin Quire's genes in them made them all loyal to Zeno. Now, that's that's a huge, huge thing, right? Yes. This should be like a multiple, this big arc. This should be important in other books. It feels like it should go somewhere, but I, I think it's brought up and dealt with entirely off screen in this one issue. Did yeah, you get the idea is, it's going to continue? This is the secret invasion plot, <laughs> except with Zeno. It's your Manchurian candidate, it's your invasion, yeah. invasion of the body snatchers, it's your secret invasion, but again, just mentioned because you feel like you have to have a threat, and also because it's going to give Beast another opportunity to do something really awful. Yeah. Right? He, we, we find out that there's some sort of flaw because of the Quentin Choir thing, where he can like push a self-destruct button and kill off all these monstrosities. And we're supposed to, again, we're supposed to get an emotional reaction to this. And it reminded me of how this same plot was done a whole lot better back in Zeb Wells' Hellions book. Hellions number eight was one of the peaks of a, a really fantastic book. Uh, the team ended up fighting the right with Cameron Hodge, mm-hmm. and we had these smiley robots. Oh, that's right. Okay. Right. Yep. I do yeah, remember that. And the smileys had become kind of self-aware. They, had, they were AIs, and they started to question their own programming. Like, they were told mutants are evil, but they started questioning, well, what is a mutant? What is evil? And they actually, you know, helped out our Hellion heroes, and they were, like, going to be friends now. We're going to have some smileys, big allies with the Krakoans. But this was back in Dawn of X, where self-replicating AI is, you know, number one, no bueno. Can't have yeah, that. it's an Imrod. You don't want it. 
Exactly. So Psylocke had to push the equivalent button to upload a virus to kill all of them. But that felt like it had weight because we had met these characters. They were characters. We had seen them grow. We had seen their potential. And because, as you remember, Psylocke, her own secret child, was an AI data file being held hostage by Mr. Sinister. So all these pieces have been put in place to make this feel like a weighty emotional event, which is the exact opposite of what what happened here. So I (laughs) guess the moral of the story is, if you haven't read Hellions, you got to go read Hellions. And if you have, you should go back and read that, reread it because it's it's one of the best books of this whole era. I agree with that. Okay. So just to to finish up the plot here, uh, Max, the psychic kid who was strapped to the table eight ways from Sundays, he he just walks in. How'd he get loose? (laughs) Don't worry. No question. There's just never mentioned. He just shows up. Uh, he, but, oh, he was also drugged, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. He was drugged at the time. But now he uses his psychic kid powers to take control of the Omnimutant. I'm going to yeah. keep saying that word, even if Ruben isn't. And yeah. he's about to use that mutant to murder the man with a peacock tattoo to death. But Domino stops and says, hey, Max, you don't want to carry that scar around on your heart. And again, supposed to be an emotional moment and again falls flat. So yes. Domino knocks Peacock Eye out. Uh, and what do you have to say, Ruben? I, I said there is no emotion for me <laughs> with no. that, especially from Domino, right? Like how many people she killed and have we ever seen her show remorse about it? And there's going to be another twist that's not a twist on top of these other twists that aren't twists because he wakes up uh, strapped to that same table, which I, I don't know why he can't escape. Uh, <laughs> Domino's about to kill him with one of his own scalpels, but- She's supposed to have an emotional moment, TM here, Yes, and decide, no, no, I don't want to do that. And she walks away to leave him, but she leaves him to be torn apart by his own creations. Is that Domino being merciful? I, I don't I don't think so. I don't know how this is an emotional arc for her, or I'll just leave him to get torn apart. It's kind of gross. Yeah. Yeah. She just doesn't want to get her hands dirty. Yeah. And we don't actually see him die on panel. But the implication he's yeah. torn apart, uh, as they fly away in the Bluebird, the whole island just explodes for no reason stated. So <laughs> well, there, there is, I, I will give Ben Percy a, um, oh, an out something? on that one. Okay. Yeah. So me. basically, as they're, as they're infiltrating the base, there's a like one line statement about leaving grenades or bombs all throughout Fair the enough. facility. Yeah. But it's like a total throwaway thing. And so that's why it blows up. There's like eight different ways these people could possibly die, right? He's either torn apart by his creatures or the self-destruct goes out and all the creatures die yeah. or whoever's left alive is blown up by the bombs. Yes. And I don't think it really matters which way it happens, but it's it's very much unclear. So that's, that's where we left off. The plot here is nonsensical. The emotional beats are unearned. The art's inconsistent and in places where it should be impressive, it's, it's not really impressive. Omnimutant is not going to go down in history as a classic ex-villain. Yep. And yeah, I think overall I'm at a oh, five, five out of ten. <laughs> I'm the positive one? What? <laughs> yeah, I hated it. I thought it was terrible. It, it felt like it was just a speedy race to conclude this. And I was messaging you after this, is this the end of X-Force or Ben Percy's X-Force run? Because it feels just really rushed. Either that or he just is bailing on the story and was like, okay, I'm done writing about this. It's not that good let's get to something else yeah it is still going it's uh, solicited at least for a few more months you know all the months that we have available solicitation so there's no sign that it's going away at the moment the next yeah. issue is even called new blood and we see colossus and we see uh one of the laura versions of wolverine there in that 
that preview issue on that uh, coming attraction page. I mean, those those are more interesting character like arcs that I'm looking to hear about. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, Colossus is uh, you know being controlled by oh, uh, what's his name again? The Chronicler and oh yeah, Ras- and his brother Mikhail Rasputin is yeah. That's that's a that's a thing that's been hanging out there a while. So maybe that's the next plot point that we're going to revisit. All right, moving on to something that maybe we'll like a little better. This is Rogan Gambit number one of five, issue titled Buy a Girl Another Ring First, written by Stephanie Phillips. Now, Stephanie Phillips has been, you probably, listeners probably know her most from the DC podcast, where she's done Harley Quinn, she's done Wonder Woman. I'm going to say I think the best thing she's done, at least that I've read, is a historical murder mystery book called The Butcher of Paris. That there's a serial killer in Nazi-occupied Paris, which is you know a based on on fact kind of story. And I thought that was the best thing she's done. Uh, that's Stephanie Phillips. Uh, art by Carlos Gomez, colors by David Curiel with Federico Blee, letters by Ariana Mayer, and design by Tom Muller with Jay Bowen. So, Ruben, do you have like a pre-existing feeling or connection to these characters? I definitely am a big fan of Gambit. I, I think. He was introduced right around when I became an X-Men fan, so I glommed onto him. And I really enjoyed the the kind of rogue gambit relationship. This is all, you know, nineties era, right? When that was that was kind of featured. So and he had a very mysterious background, right? When we were all trying to figure out like his name wasn't really known. Yeah. And he could have he could have been something big and no one really knew what he was. And he was kind of suave and effective, but you know, kind of irritated some of the other characters and has one of those classic Chris Claremont accents. Yeah. Yeah. And an accent. And then he was part of the thieves guild when we're like, what's that? And, you know, so he was, and he had these kind of guy, I guess he had a bit of a, um, Oh my gosh, what's that character's name? Who's that? Who's the rogue in star Wars? This is gonna, I know just Han Solo. Han Solo. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. You have stolen my dreams. (laughs) I don't want to admit that I didn't know that. That's our, that is our second uh, Star Wars <laughs> reference on the podcast. So, but yeah, he had he had kind of a Han Solo thing, right? Going absolutely, and, he was very much that kind of archetype where he's mysterious. He's kind of out for himself, but you think he might have a heart of gold. Yes, exactly. He's like if you were like if you were playing Star Wars, every every boy wanted to be Han Solo, yeah. and I expect if you're playing X Men. All the young lads wanted to be uh, Gambit. Editor's note, I always wanted to be Luke Skywalker. And if I was playing X-Men, I would probably be Wolverine. Even though I might be Cyclops, depending on who's playing Jean Grey. So this is, uh, the, the cover is interesting. They really play up the playing card suit motif here, mm-hmm. where... Uh, Gambit has a spade in his his title. Rogue has a heart in hers. It's a little confusing choice given the whole Nathaniel Essex thing going on in other books, but I don't think there's any connection at all there. Just hey, he uses playing cards. Let's use those those uh, those symbols. Have those symbols been associated with them before? The cards. Yeah, the heart and the spade for the two of them. No, not well. I don't know. Probably at some point, but yeah, it, it is I used a few times in this me. book. It, it's used on the cover. It's used on the credits page. It's used on the coming attraction page. That seems to be what they're considering, like the symbols for this book. One of the interesting things that I want to just kind of throw out there: Claremont era Gambit, when he's first introduced, he actually had like a um, pa- like a less known power of being able to influence people. So he was like a sweet talker, basically. And it wasn't just that. Oh, okay. he's a persuasive individual. It was like actually one of his mutant powers. And that interesting. 
Like I always wonder, like, do these writers remember that or or you know, is that just kind of not been done? Because everyone knows that he charges up, you know, he puts energy into things and can throw throw them and they explode. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure how his power differs from uh, Boom Boom. It seems pretty similar. So uh, these two have had their own series before. There was a five-issue series also called Rogan Gambit, uh, Gambit in 2018, written by Kelly Thompson. Mm-hmm. And that led right into a 12-issue series, also by Kelly Thompson, called Mr. and Mrs. X. That's where Marvel and X-Men did like a, a wedding switcheroo thing. I think it was going, was it going to be Kitty and Colossus getting married? Yeah. That was what the play was. And then the last second, they switched it out, but they had Rogan Gamut get married instead. And then they were Mr. and Mrs. X. And that was immediately pre-Krakoa. In fact, the final issue of Mrs. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. X came out less than a month before House of X number one. So we really haven't seen them together so much since. They were together a little bit in uh, the Excalibur books and, and, and that side of things, the Captain Britain stuff. And but not then, heavily featured. Not heavily featured. Rogue had been in the X-Men, but Gambit not really there. And, you know, right now in X-Men continuity, uh, Rogue has just, you know, been taken over by the brood and then killed. So again, it's really unclear where this fits in continuity. It is supposed to be in the Krakoa era, but there's nothing about that book that you don't need to know anything about Krakoa to read this book. It feels like it's just kind of a side thing tacked on. There's no scenes that take place on Krakoa. Yeah, they they do talk about Mystique and Destiny having kind of gone on the lam, right? So they mention that in the recap page. I'm not sure how much that comes across in the in the books book itself in the panels. Yeah. So my thought would be is if that's like actually intentional, then this would be somewhere after um, Immortal before Sins of Sinister. Sure. It certainly has to be after uh, they bring Destiny back, obviously. Yes. But I think didn't, um, gosh, I don't remember what happened, but it was like right before the the boat to bring back Sinister, I think they like fled, right? Didn't they leave the Quiet Council? Oh, yeah. So for, um, yeah, I talk about like the, the Sins of Sinister stuff, they take off kind of right before that. So my thought is this is like right after that, but before the world kind of collapsed. Right, unless that all gets undone, and now this is sometime after that because that never happened. Yeah. Who, who knows? But the, the point is, it's not a very Krakoa-heavy book at all. It doesn't yeah. seem tied to any existing Krakoan plot lines or characters. It's just a side thing for Rogue and Gambit to have an adventure. I would say, too, last thing I'll say about this is kind of almost bad timing in that they just had the Gambit book, right, that Claremont wrote. And that was a stories set in kind of the 90s era also so it's not even close to this but really hard to have like such a character driven book with gambit that you know five issue miniseries and then you go to this and it's like a totally different character and personality it is kind of strange marvel marketing x-men marketing especially for the non-core books always feels strange to me and i don't know what their strategy is who they're they think there's different target audiences do you think there's people who just buy everything gambit I'm, I'm not really sure. And, and the tone of this book is very strange to me. Uh, I know I'm a, a little older than you. Do you remember like commercials in like the early 2000s where it was always this trope where there'd be a husband character who was just this kind of semi-lovable idiot, right? He'd always, he'd buy the wrong fabric softener. He didn't know how to change a diaper. Yeah. And the wife would be off the side, like with her arms crossed, like, oh, those boys of mine, just tolerant, but always, she was always the competent one and yeah. always getting her idiot husband out of whatever trouble he caused by being such an idiot. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that. And that is part of what I was going to go with here is what bugs me the most. I, I know 
we talked about this before the show and you were like, eh, I just kind of whatever. I didn't think much about the story. I actually was more intrigued by what was happening in the story. I thought this was all interesting, but the dynamics of the characters just feel really off and bug me. Okay. Like if you think back to Gambit, he was very capable. That was one of his main appeals, right? He was kind of suave, you know, um, but capable, right? Like he comes across as a criminal, but when, the, you know, when the chips go down, he's very able to handle his business, right? Yeah. Again, here he's just like a, thing. yeah, here he's just a drunk. The guy is drunk. A dumb, drunk husband, right? So I'm just like, it, it's almost like the marriage ruined his personality and character, and that can't be what they're trying to say, right? That like he has the beer gut now and everything, and I, I don't know. Yeah, it's very much like it a, was bizarre. a parent-child relationship where he's like a little kid and she's the mom getting him out of trouble. He's charming, you know, yes. but he's he's very immature here, which I don't think that's what people want from Rogan Gambit. At least it's not what I would want from Rogan Gambit, but yeah. That's what we're getting here. I just felt like he was annoying. He was, and I'm like, what's what's she getting out of this relationship, right? And but that that should be the core of any Rogan Gambit book, right? Is yeah. the relationship between these two main characters? And I, I thought it was kind of off putting. Yeah, yeah. You could see. I, I mean, a good way to write this would be like nobody understands why they're together, right? But when the chips are down, they're really good for each other. Yeah, and like, I, I did she not sees get that. a different side of him. Yeah, I just saw this as like, she's like, God, he's drunk again, and I'm always bailing him out. Like, what the hell's his problem? It's, it's like a back mom's episode right. everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. So, anyways. So, just, just to get the plot out there, uh, it opens with an action set piece of Rogue rescuing a drunken gambit from uh, a group of five Thieves Guild ninjas, uh, which doesn't seem at all connected to the ongoing plot. We just need an opening action set piece. Mm-hmm. At the end of which, he throws up on his wife, which, that's classy. Yes. Uh, and then Destiny shows up, Destiny being Rogue's adoptive mother. That, again, these, these family trees are very com- confusing to me. Well, Mystique is, Mystique is actually her mom. Okay. So because Destiny oh, right, and Mystique right, right. have the relationship, that makes her kind of an adopted. And Mystique mother. is her actual biological Correct. straightforward yes. mom. Okay. That's yeah. more straightforward than I thought it was then. Yep. Okay. So, uh, but Mystique's not in the book. Destiny is and says, Hey, I need you two to do a job for me. By the way, uh, she does act like the, the mother-in-law figures, you know, putting down her, her son-in-law gambit and doesn't say any details about why she needs them to do this, but says, Hey, you need to recruit manifold. And then gambit makes the dumb line about, Oh, you mean the, the car part? <laughs> uh, come on. Come on. That's man. what I'm what saying. Gambit is, is so poorly done here for being a guy who's, like I said, very clever, silver tongued, right? And now he's just a dope. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, they go and find Manifold, uh, who very, very much like a video game, you know, you've, you've completed that quest. I give you the next plot point. He says, Oh, I'm not interested in helping you, but I have this thing going on where these powered villains are going missing. Uh, we saw something happen with Death, Lady Deathstrike being kidnapped. Uh, also, we see on like computer panels, Electro, Crusher Creel, Abomination, uh, and Spook and Gambit agree to help him out with the little villain thing. I guess hoping that, you know, maybe we help you, maybe you'll help us, leads to a, a fight outside an airport in Las Vegas, where some rich big baddies have a doohickey that drains uh, mutant powers, which yeah. feels like early on in Dawn of X, every bad guy had power damping <laughs> capability. Remember that? Yes. It was every book, yes. somebody else had another button to push to make the powers go away. And I think the writers and editors eventually figured out, hey, when people buy X-Men books, we want to see X-Men using X-Men powers. Yeah. So the whole 
oh, they don't have powers thing gets old really quick. But Manifold uses the very last of his power to send Rogue and Gambit away through a portal, but he gets captured. And that's our cliffhanger. We don't even see where Rogue and Gambit had, had been sent. So yeah, that's, I don't have a whole lot to say about this. Feels like a very basic, maybe early 2000s era feeling X-Men book. I, I know they weren't married back then, but just, just the tone of it, the art, the art is fine. I think some of the emotional expressions are a little overdone, which kind of given the sitcom nature of the story, maybe that's all right. The action is, is decent enough. I do notice that this artist loves to do panels where he uses like radiating light or dark just rays just surrounding it, like, you know, like an explosion or a firework type uh, yeah. thing. And there's like eight or 10 panels of that in this book, which once you notice it, it gets it's, gets old pretty quick. Yeah, I actually thought the art was kind of cool. It's very stylized, but um, I'm going to have to look back at that comment and it'll probably drive me nuts once I <laughs> oh, you're welcome. focus on it. Yeah, so I get, I don't, I, I didn't, the book didn't make me angry. It's just, I sound like Jim here, but yeah. I don't see any reason I would keep reading this. It's, it feels like an adventure that is off to the side and doesn't have any effect on the major Krakoan plot points. Yeah. And what should be the main draw, this relationship between these two characters is the worst done part of the book. So I so know I'm a- Stephanie Phillips to do something. So I said, Hey, do this. It, it doesn't feel like anybody put a whole lot of thought or effort into making this something important. I'm always interested in what Destiny is up to because she's a, you know, major manipulator. So that that it has me interested and actually have come to like Manifold a lot thanks to Mr. Ewing and his work with the character. So I'm interested in that. Unfortunately, I mean, I'm more interested in all the side characters right. in this book than the actual Rogan Gambit. What I'm hearing is you're liking the things because of what characters have done in other books. I guess that's true. Right. So, yes. They have well, I, I'm assuming if they book. did cool things in those other books, they could do cool things in this book, <laughs> which is probably unfair so. to assume. But I, well, hope springs eternal. Yes. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. You, we will not necessarily cover. Well, we won't cover it on the recording unless I tell you that something crazy cool happens. But yeah, it's going to depend also on what books come out, what yeah. weeks. If we have a slow week and this comes out, we'll probably chat about it a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Hopefully, I mean, if it's terrible, it'll be terrible. It'll be the next Sabretooth and the Exiles, but I'm interested. It's it's way less ambitious than Sabretooth and the Exiles, right? Sabretooth yes. and the Exiles, it feels like, uh, oh, what's the writer's name? Oh, I feel bad now. Victor somebody, I think. He, ha- he has a thing he wants to do. He has a point he wants to make. Even if we don't actually always like the way he does it, there's, there's a thing he's trying. Where this mm-hmm. book, it doesn't feel like it, it's as ambitious. So mm-hmm. again, we've I've kicked it enough. Uh, this book, I guess, is my book of the week because I'm giving it a five point eight out of ten. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm more like six six five probably. I, it's not even the characterizations drive me nuts, so I can't give it a seven. But yeah. the art, I think, is pretty good. And like I said, it's got a few characters I'm interested in. Yeah, that Jim's gonna hate me for that, right? Because he's always like, "That's all X Men fans do. They they thumbs up books that have the characters they want to see in it." And that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope that uh, Stephanie Phillips does something interesting with these interesting characters. Me and too. If she does, I'll you know I'll give her the credit for it. But I don't see a whole lot of promise in this issue number one. So yeah. those are our two books for this week. Next week, we have two books that we'll be talking about. Those are Nightcrawlers, number two of three, which 
puts us our first view of the year 100 timeframe in Sins of Sinister. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Nightcrawlers wasn't my favorite of these Sins of Sinister books, but I, I do want to see what happens 90 years in the future. You, uh, yes. you looking forward to that too? Yes. Yeah. Every week that we don't have a Sins of Sinister book, I'm kind of down because I, I think that's the best thing that's happening right now. Agreed. Our other book is X-Men number 20, which is Lord of the Brood part two, continuing our whole brood storyline. So we should see something to do with maybe Rogue, definitely Gambit again next week. Uh, there's also, there's three more books coming out next week. I don't think we'll be talking about, but that I'll take a look at and that listeners might want to be aware of. These are New Mutants Lethal Legion number one. That's the start of a miniseries by Charlie Jane Anders, I think tying up some loose ends and working with a character she created at the end of the New Mutants run. There's X-23 number one facsimile edition, a reprint of a 2005 comic that gives Laura Kinney's origin story. It's not her first appearance, but it is her origin. And also with X-23, a new book called Deadly Regenesis number 105. Again, it's not set in the Krakoan era. It's, it's newly written, but set in an old time period, specifically right after X-23 left the island of Utopia, which from poking around in the, the wiki seems to be about 2010 publication time. So if you were a big Laura Kinney fan from the 2010s, this could be a book you'd be really excited about. Yeah, they have a lot of people playing off that Deadly Genesis title name. I think this is like the third or fourth time in a year that we've had a playoff of that title. Marvel does love to reuse these titles. Those are the books that we expect we talk about next week. If, if you think we got any of these books this week wrong, we didn't really find anything we're crazy about, you want to tell us what we missed, please go to, uh, well, I'm just, I don't know the website offhand because I'm a dummy. Just Google up Weird Science Marvel and I'm sure you'll find plenty of places to yell at us. Yes. Uh, I, again, I really have high hopes for Nightcrawlers number two next week. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, so until then, hey, Ruben, what is it that we say at the end of each and every show? Go Sounders. <laughs> oh, go read some X-Men comics. 